Hello and welcome to the 38th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is paperbound by a dissident logic. Dan, who are you and what do you do? Hi, my name is Dan Holbert, and I am the programmer, designer, and almost everything else that needs to be done for Paperbound, except for art and music. I have wonderful people who are doing those parts of the game. Uh, I used to work in the AAA games industry, and then I decided I got tired of working on someone else's game, wanted to make my own, so I jumped ship and started uh, making Paperbound. So you've already, developers do this a lot, eh? to sort of jump ahead questions so going to ask them but so how did you make your your start so you said you worked in the uh so you say mainstream field of video game creation yeah um i wouldn't say that's the start though i'd say the start was back when i was a teenager um, all right okay i was lucky enough to have a programming class in my high school and for one of the projects i made a game and so the very first game i ever made was called revenge of poopy pants brilliant <laughs> and uh, it was it was a uh, it was Maybe a little bit mean, because that was like my teasing name for my brother. I would call him Poopy Pants. The younger brother, right? Um, he was actually a little bit older than me. But <laughs> how did you get away with that? Speaking as a person who's the youngest of four, how did you get away with that? Uh, I guess I was just stronger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have that. No, I had three of them against me. God. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was, Imagine that gang yeah. up. It's like, it's just didn't, it's not, not, not pleasant. But anyway. <laughs> so it was like a, like a shoot 'em up, but the boss was a big photo of my brother's head and he would shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that based on? Was it like based on Doom or something? Was it, was it just like a game you made using tools that were available? Or did you do it from scratch? I'm, I'm curious. I had like a toolkit that like would, handle like drawing of JPEGs to the screen for you. And so, and I just did it in C++. Um, Cause it was like, it was for a school project and they gave us like, here's a thing you can use to draw images to the screen. And then I made a game using that. Um, this was, you know, well before there were things like unity and unreal engine that did all kinds of awesome stuff for you. This was uh, back in the day when you had to do a lot of stuff yourself. Um, yeah. I was, you know, I was in, I was like 15 at the time, which is now 15 years ago. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I did that. And then I did some quake three mods. I made one called Blastorama and one called trial by fire. And Blastorama was all about like your weapons don't directly do damage, but they knock people back and you have to knock them into the void or into a pit of lava or something like that. Right. And then a trial by fire was sort of like a, a kill the king mode where there's one guy who was called the commando and he would actually get two weapons and like, special armor and stuff and everybody was just trying to kill him um and so it was actually a, like i really uh i'd say cut my teeth on programming doing those because i just jumped straight into the quake 3 code base and you know tried my best to figure it all out and at that point like there wasn't even a way to do two weapons in quake 3 and i had to figure out how to shoehorn that in there right uh so uh yeah it, it really taught me a lot um well, that's some good code, isn't it? I mean, maybe I'm wrong saying that, but it did a good job with Quake 3. I mean, that's their, 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 their pride, isn't it? It's their 
coding prowess. Is that right to say that? I'm just being ignorant here. It's, this is the impression I get. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say that. And, and like this, their technical ability. Like, you know, when I was a kid, John Carmack was a big hero of mine because he was mm-hmm. like this graphics wizard, you know, that I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they're very famous for that. And, in fact, it's funny. I saw an image recently where it's like a family tree of game engines and there's just this massive list of like probably a hundred game engines and how they all connect back to one of the like Quake One, Two, or Three engine. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Carmack, uh, absolute genius. Um, he could, yeah, he was. Um, well, he is. I mean, he's, he's got off to yeah. Oculus Rift now, isn't he? Which is amazing. And I actually I got to try the the new Gear VR, which is uh, a new thing Oculus is doing with Samsung, where like it's basically like a phone yes. into the headset. That's amazing, I, isn't it? I was really impressed by it. Um, right. Because like, I tried some of the previous, like the Oculus Rift, like the original version. It wasn't mm, oh, yeah. It's, but, it makes you feel sick, the, the original one. It really... Yeah, it does. Because it, it's the, the lag. And they, could, and they knew it was a problem, but... You know, yeah, yeah, that was the thing. There was like... I was like so impressed. There was like zero latency on this thing, and it was in a phone, and you just slide it into the headset, and... It was, you know, a crisp image. You didn't see, like, the lines between the pixels like you did with the old Oculus. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, the Samsung thing is a great idea. It's, it's wireless, isn't it? So you just put it in, slide the phone, and then off you go. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that's genius, that is. Um, works with any certain phones, though, doesn't it? Is that right? It's like um, the Galaxy it's, 5? It's just specific. It's like the Note 4 or something like that. Right, right. Yeah, it's a quite a powerful phone, but nonetheless, that is impressive. Anyway, where did you go? Yes, so you moved on to doing mods for Quake 3, using the elegant code that was contained therein, and then butchering it. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that. No, um, no, no. Uh, but then... then editions. So then you... What, did you go to university, or what? what had that? Yeah, I did. I went to... Um, you know, these days there were a lot of game schools. At the time, there wasn't any, a lot that was specific to games, so I just went to a regular four-year university, studied computer science. Um, but yeah. I'd always, so I did that to you know develop my skills in programming. But then always in my spare time, I was doing game project things. Um, you know, there was like a small computer game club at the university I went to. Right. And um, I was lucky enough to get an internship with ATI, um, doing some graphics stuff for them. Like I even did like computer vision research where we're using the graphics cards to like scan images for faces and stuff like that right okay which which uh, now they rigor in the land of xbox although i've seen some recent images on some basketball game that's not going so well people scanning their faces and they doesn't do the scaling right and you get this tiny little face and a big head it's quite funny <laughs> <laughs> you should check it out. It's really funny, uh, and not not more eating though, because it was the ski. Um, so, wow! So you, you graduated, obviously. You worked with ATI, which so you're building drivers, I assume, or not? Um, so I did two things. I did. Uh, I was like they called it a verification engineer, which is basically a kind of mundane job. Of they had all these tests they had to run the hardware through, and I would write those tests. Um, okay. you know, programs for them. And then that was the first time. And then I left to go back to school more because this was dur- all during my undergrad. Oh, okay. Um, right. So like a sandwich year sort of thing. Yeah. Just when I wasn't in class, you know, I'd go work. Um, oh, okay. Sorry. Well, um, between and, and also like during the summer when I was out of session, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. 
Um, and then I left, and then I came back, and that's when I did the computer vision thing. Um, just writing some graphics code stuff to do that. Because um, at that time, not I wasn't aware of anybody else having used GPUs to do this kind of thing, although nowadays it's pretty commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, you know, a bit of an experiment, and it, it went pretty well. Almost like uh, hitting the hardware back in the old days, isn't it, when you start doing stuff like that? Say that one more time? I was just thinking about back in the old days when they had no libraries of any kind. They had to use assembly to do everything. Uh, uh, yeah, they did back in the old days. It was all, there was no C++, nothing. It was just basic or machine code. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah, I actually write a lot of assembly for that because um, – yeah. Gra- like so, you do graphics programming with a thing called a shader language that runs on the graphics card rather than on your CPU, mm-hmm. and they have what's called a higher level shader language. It looks a lot like something like C plus plus. Yeah. But uh, I was having trouble where the compiler just would like take an infinite amount of time, and eventually I'd have to kill it. So <laughs> I ended up writing hundreds of lines of assembly code to make this shader. Yeah, and that's what back in the days they used to call it hitting it the hardware. Hitting the metal because you couldn't. Yeah, there's no interpret. There was no interpretation between you and the machine. It was you were actually telling it to go. See that switch? Turn that one on now. That one. Turn that one off. And that one on. That, yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. was all it is. There's no. It's all it is. Generally, just getting right down to that switch. Turn that one off. <laughs> and it's yeah. quite. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's. It takes it's a quite, long time. Very long time, and it's quite mind numbing. You need the patience of a saint. <laughs> now, um, not that you're saying you're R one. Now, so you moved on to obviously graduated. Go you. Yeah. Um, and before I graduated, I was applying for jobs and I was able to line of one course. up. So I grew up in Florida, and I got a job in the Boston area at a company called Mad Doc Software. Right. A lot of people think I say Mad Dog, but no, it's like Mad Doctor, Mad Doc, Mad Doc. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. And I worked on a game called Empire Earth 3, doing cool things like making black holes and explosions and things. Um, I loved that game. Well done. Thanks. It was good. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> I was. Um, I didn't have a whole lot to do with the gameplay side of it. I just did pretty stuff, basically. I know, the effects. I mean, that's part of the experience. Oh, yeah. It's the front yeah. end, you know, the point of doing stuff. Like, I'm now going to do this horrible, destructive thing. I mean, why do people drop nukes in Civ? <laughs> they know it's a bad thing it's the worst thing you could ever do in Civ is to launch a nuke but why'd you do it? you want to see the mushroom cloud <laughs> yep <laughs> and that's what you fed well done yeah yeah. I, I was the enabler <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean the amount of times I've gone I'm not going to actually start a war I'm going to do it and then load for my last save because I'm not going to actually do this that's <laughs> yeah. that's insane. I'm not a warmonger. Um, but <laughs> games used to like you know let you save at any point in time. Like yeah, I've played a, a number of like even like shooter games where you'd go and you'd die, but like oh I saved ten seconds ago. Let me yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember Half Life being like that? Oh, it's not just, it's just, oh man, Half Life. I had this one bug one time. I was playing. It was. Do you remember the super gravity gun? Yes, Half-Life. yes. Right oh, Half-Life 2, that. right? Yeah, that's Half-Life 2. Yeah, Half-Life 2. Right, right when I got that, yeah. all the gravity in the game multiplied by like a thousand. Oh, right. And so I couldn't jump or anything. I, I could run around, but I couldn't jump. And yeah. so I thought that, because it was right when I got the gravity gun, I thought it was just part of the game. No, it's just a bug. <laughs> it's a bug, but I didn't know. So I kept <laughs> 
at least half an hour like that. Oh. And I and I get to this point where like there's this rail you have to jump over, but I can't. So I'm like trying to figure out if there's like a physics puzzle to it. So I start tearing computers off the walls. And I stand on them, and then, like, you can shoot them with the gravity gun and, like, kind of yeah, bounce yeah. them. And so, like, I use that to propel me over the railing. And then I, I'm continuing on, and eventually I get to this point where there's this, like, spiral ramp you have to go up. Right. And at the point, I just, I can't go up the ramp. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> at that point, that's what I realized, okay, this is definitely a bug. And so I had to... Yeah. Yeah. Go back like two save games to <laughs> do it over again. The thing about Half Life and the Valve games is that if you're trying too hard to do something, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's all like they gave you all these tools to do crazy shit, and it turns out are you putting that on top of that? Like, yeah, stop doing that. You don't need to <laughs> just go over there. And but I know you can do these things, but is it taking you more than five minutes? Yeah, let's stop doing it. <laughs> it's yeah. wrong. It's wrong. Um, so you moved on, did you, you stayed at uh, Mad Doc or did you, obviously... You did. I was there for a year, um, and I don't know, I wasn't really digging the, the like New England area too much, although I did go snowboarding a lot, which was awesome. Yeah. Like 50 times in one winter, but... Um, I've been there, it just reminds me too much of home. <laughs> <laughs> it does! It's called New England for a reason! <laughs> so... Yeah, seriously. All right, so I was like, you know what, California sounds pretty nice. So I just started uh-huh. looking for jobs in California and uh, got one at a company called High Moon Studios in the San Diego area. Right. And I worked there for six years um, doing uh, engine programming. First, I worked on the Bourne conspiracy. It was, you know, like Jason Bourne, the Bourne identity. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And, man, that game was like – had the most brutally difficult demo I've ever played. <laughs> I remember when – the demo went live and like I went home and downloaded it. Like, yeah, I'm going to play the game I'm working on, but on a real Xbox. And uh, I played – like you're fighting the, this guy in the back of a plane and you're just like destroying him like for – I played this game for like two hours before I finally beat that damn boss. Wow. Because <laughs> like it's, it, it was, it was um, sort of like a quick action kind of thing where you're fighting people and it does all these brutal takedowns. And like you beat on him for 20 minutes, but then he hits you a couple times and you're done for. Um, but man, but I finally beat it. I persevered. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, that game was all right. It was pretty fun, but it wasn't like my favorite game ever. Uh, and then we did the, the Transformers War for Cybertron and Fall for Fall of Cybertron games. Yeah, which I'm really proud of those games. I had a lot of fun. They were ce- quite celebrated when they came out. I remember that. So yeah, well done for that. Thank. Yeah. And um, but once again, it wasn't like I had my role on the game. You know, right. which was engine programmer. So, I, like, I would do the tech, I would do some graphic stuff, you know, tools to help other people do what they're doing. But, like, what the game was about wasn't anything that I had much influence over. No. In fact, very yeah. few people did. <laughs> yeah. It's a really, think about it. Really think about it. When you're working on, on a property like that, who really has control? Actually, no one. There's this massive manual. Uh, That's I was actually control. surprised that... Um, so uh, Hasbro owns the Transformers franchise, and they actually gave us a fair amount of creative oh, yeah. freedom to actually. Well, that's Hasbro because they, you know, they kind of know games, believe it or not. Sorry, it sounded really patronising, but, but it's not about that. I mean, you think Hasbro, you think, oh, they're the enemy; they're the ones who make Monopoly and stuff like that. I don't think they are, but you know what I mean. And it's just they actually they do good stuff. 
They do. And they know that the only way to do good stuff is to give creative freedom as much as they humanly can, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's one way. And also to make sure there's enough time. Cause, so at High Moon, there were three Transformers games that came out. Um, I worked on two of them. Right. And th- each of those two got almost two years to work on. And then there was the movie tie-in, which got much less time. So, um, unfortunately, that one wasn't as well received. But that's no. just like, oh, yeah, we got to get it tied into the movie. It's got to come out when the movie comes out. And rush, you know, just you got to put something out there. Um, even that's if it's not, you, know, you don't have the time to really get yeah. it to where it used to be. It doesn't happen so much these days. I find a lot of film tying games are different now. Something else, something's going on. I think the effort in making games now is just so phenomenal when it comes to the modern generation, the current generation of machines, PS4 and the Xbox One and current generation PCs. It, they can't do it anymore, can they? Really? To do it justice. What do you, you're closer to it than me, but that's the perception I get. Mm, I don't know, because like, I know right, we were working on licensed titles, Transformers, and it was also a time like when the economy's kind of down and games just weren't selling that well. Um, right. It was the end of a console cycle, and so Activision across the company kind of took a look at it, and um, they decided they were going to stop having us do the licensed titles. Um, they actually brought High Moon into the Call of Duty franchise, but they decided oh, they were yeah. going to... Um, do the license titles off to some other studios that would more be more like actually the movie ones where they just put them out there quickly and cheaply because they know they can recoup their, um, you know, the sales because, you know, some mom's going to buy it for her kids because, oh, I know my kids like this thing, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Poor kid. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Thanks, yeah, mom. So- <laughs> 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 oh, that... I was just listening to um, another podcast recently, and they were talking about like all the different versions of Smash Brothers. And apparently, the new one's just called Smash Brothers, like or Super Smash Brothers, but not like you know. For a while, it was like Melee and Brawl, and so they added Melee something. and Brawl and all sorts of yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, like what if like some poor kid like his mom went out to buy Smash Brothers and got him like the N sixty four one? <laughs> oh god, mom, where'd I put this? It only cost fifty cents. Yeah, I know it did. <laughs> oh dear not that yeah. the N64 version of Smash Brothers was a bad game in fact it was really good yeah well that's why there are sequels right exactly because people really liked it although uh, people didn't like Brawl so much because of the chipping mechanic but that's a discussion for another show <laughs> not this yeah. one um, so okay you after six years you, you obviously just recently left is that right yeah, um, I left uh, well last year in August. Okay. Um, and at that point, I had been working on the new Call of Duty for I think almost a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that's still coming out this year. Um, I know those games a lot of bad press about certain aspects of the video game community, but I think they're really good. I I, I actually do think they're very good. Um, um, I actually you know. haven't been the hugest fan of the most recent versions of it, although. No. I would say this one seems to be mixing... Well, the Black Ops one mixed it up more than the um, like Modern Warfare 2 and 3 did, I think. Yeah. Uh, but this one seems like to be doing a little bit more, especially, I think, on the multiplayer side, making it much more of a three-dimensional kind of game where like you have these little like booster packs and you can jump up to the next level of a building. And um, I, uh, Yeah, 
So yeah. uh, a little bit different from previous Call of Duties. But anyway, I wasn't really, you know, for a while I had been thinking I want to do my own thing. And then I was working on this project. I actually wasn't really enjoying it too much because um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. both, I mean, partially because I just wasn't too into the game, but also just when you are a programmer, the the way that the code that you're working in is structured can have a huge effect on your productivity and, and your enjoyment of the work. And this is a code base that's been around for <laughs> like 15 years, you know, so it's right. um, not the easiest to work with. Um, and that was a big pain in the butt. And then we were having to like, you know, split the work with another studio. Like we were actually a helper studio. Um, and so there was some sort of growing pains there. Mm. Um, and yeah, mainly just, I hated that code base. And also, like I said, I had, I had, so I saved up money. F- so this was just like the last year I was working there, but I had been saving for about two and a half years to money so that I could then quit and do my uh, own thing by the time I left last August. So that wasn't like the sole reason I left, but it was uh, like an additional thing, little thing where I'm like, yeah, I think maybe now's the time. And, I mean, you're not the first person we've had on the show that's come from AAA studios. You've had people from Criterion, Chatput was on. He's now made his own little racer game, which is really fun. We've had people from Maxis come on. All sorts, you know, former alumni. It's just like, I want to be creative again. I want to make my own things. And I don't want to have to, you know, stand there and talk to a marketing manager and a production manager and a director and explain myself to them. Um, I'm putting words in their mouth, but that's basically what the the, in, the message I got from them is they want to actually create again, and uh, you now live in a realm that allows you to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's been ten really- years ago it would be ridiculous, but now it's like yeah, do that. Yeah, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of you know what I've read about, like say the early '90s when guys like id Software and Epic took off when they were just kind of small teams of guys and kind of going through uncharted territory. It's, it's not as uncharted anymore, but no. it's still a similar thing of just, you know, people, small team getting together, trying to do something awesome. Um, and with both on like the platform end of like Sony and Nintendo and Microsoft and Valve, um, that's become a lot more open. And then also the tools have become a lot better with Unity and Unreal Engine and all those other things. Um, I use XNA um, for my current game has made uh, it a lot more feasible to make your own game. Okay. So, we've got to where from we started and where you are now. What do you think your biggest influence is as a creator? What's the thing that you get drawn to most? Um, so, I, I would say I'm a very sort of kinetic gamer. Where I, the, the feel of game... The motion of it is a thing that I uh, really enjoy. Um, I'm not like a lot of independent game developers are really into narrative and storytelling. Oh yes, Gone Home is a good example of that. Well, yeah. I, think, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, and, and I appreciate that people are really into that. It's just usually not what I look for in a game, and what really speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've really loved action games. Like, you know, I used to play a bunch of, like, you know, we've already mentioned all the Quakes. You know, the first, very first Quake is still one of my favorite games to this day. Um, I, I still was a- remember downloading it and playing it and marveling at how 
just like, hang on, I can look up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really look up. Not the twisted version on 3D uh, um, Duke Nukem. No, not the real proper looking up. Yeah, and I remember I think back then, like, you had to, like, do a command to enable the free look because by default it was still the old way, I think, because people weren't used to that yet. Oh, yeah, I can't I don't remember that. I do remember figuring out, like, wait, so that was the first time I used WASD on my keyboard. Like, so I've got to dodge? <laughs> wow, I've got to dodge stuff. That's weird. Yeah, it's that's just one of the things yeah. I really liked about those games. It almost felt like... Like almost like a shoot 'em up in 3D, where like there are all these projectiles mm. flying around, and you have to navigate around them. And yeah, you're you're a bit of a tank, so you can take a bit of damage. And uh, as opposed to now, it's all like really like one hit kill stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, if you're playing something like Armor Three, and you see a muzzle flash, you're like, I'm gonna die. Get the. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, but oh yeah, so another influence. game. Yeah, so really, it's so, uh, so action packed sort of like fluidity and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh Mario sixty four is another example of a game that like really uh spoke to me when I was younger. I, m- I remember where I was when I first played it. I was like twelve years old and I was in a Toys R Us store, which is our like big toy chain here in the USA. Um and I was just mesmerized staring at it as I'm going through this three D colorful 3d world and i'm fighting bowser and i'm running around and jumping off walls and it just all feels so tight that this you can move where you want to without screwing up um yeah I, that game was so well executed i read recently that when they created it they created what they called a little garden um that they'd have mario run around and it was just like just a little tiny small level and they would work on making sure all the movement you know, worked well figuring out what the right jump distances are for you know different platforms between each other and all those things before they ever built out the rest of the game and all the worlds in the game. And I think that's a really good way to make games. And that's how, how I've uh, kind of done it for Paperbound, which is you know I I mm. made little test levels and got the feel to be pretty much where I wanted it to be before I started really um, adding more content. Okay. So the next question is, um, who do you most admire? What what developer or person or both do you most like, think, like, yeah, they're, they're doing good things? Um, do you know who Elon Musk is? Um, no, sorry. Uh, Elon Musk is, he's basically Iron Man in real life. <laughs> um, he created SpaceX, uh, Tesla Motors, PayPal, um, so he's sort of this serial entrepreneur who is everything he's done has just like been wildly successful and mostly like awesome and revolutionary. Like like PayPal revolutionized online payment and then um Tesla Motors, you know, the the electric cars that are like they're actually good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the day people go, Yeah, that's a, that's it. No, you're right, yes, they actually do work. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they're he's fast. like this Renaissance man, is he's just like this yeah, genius, genius fellow who just figures some, sees something that needs to be there and makes it. Yep, and you know yeah. finds the right people to help him make it. Obviously, because of course, yeah. um, you know his most recent thing is SpaceX, which is like the biggest private space company. You know, they're they've got contracts to send stuff to the International Space Station on their rockets that they're building. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so if we're going to get hoverboards, it'll be from him. Basically, yeah. He's got one year, but yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have one year. <laughs> I've got the, um, the, fl- the hat from Back to the Future, too, that like crazy colored iridescent yeah. hat. Yeah. I love that thing. <laughs> that, that film was great. No one knew back then how iconic they were, like Ghostbusters and Back to the Future and those, those films. Like, just, we had no idea. That, uh, hang on, we're still talking about them 25 years? Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah, I, yeah, I wonder if there are going to be any films from this decade that we'll look back on as fondly. Hmm. The only thing of the that Galaxy, really... maybe? What? What was that? Guardians of the Galaxy. That was pretty good. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Oh, you, 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 you need to see that. You <laughs> I need guess. To, you yeah. do. It's an order, sir. You need to see that. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's going that. on the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is a ridiculous film that needs to be watched and enjoyed for what it is. Yeah, yeah, you can't take it too seriously. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not Citizen Kane, but then again. <laughs> but, you know, let's, let's be serious here. Um, so, last question before we go on to Paperbound. Okay. And it's my favourite question because it gives me a hint as to, into, to the inner workings of one's brain as it goes to the developer. What are you playing right now? Apart from um, Paperbound been... a lot, of course. Yeah, um, so lately I've been playing a bit of Titanfall, actually. Oh, yeah? Uh, I've been enjoying that a, a lot, you know. Um, I love the, the movement around it, and the. Uh, I would not have expected a game where you run around as a person and get in a giant mech to work so smoothly and seamlessly. Mm. Well, it worked uh, with Shogo, didn't it? <laughs> but what was that? There's a game called Shogo. Do you know that one? I don't. Yeah, that's that's another one. It's a it's done by Monolith, and it was basically what he just described, but it was in 1996. Oh man, they were ahead of their yeah. time. Yeah, so you could run around and then you could jump into a big mech and then blow stuff up in big mech, and it just scaled up and down like that. It's amazing. So um, when yeah, it, was, it doesn't hasn't aged well at all, but <laughs> the premise was definitely there. But you look at it now and go, oh! visually it's really bad. But uh, you know, low polygons back then. What are you going to do? But the premise was there. So yeah, Titanfall. Yeah, are you um, playing it on what an Xbox One or PC? PC, and okay. th- there is one thing that really bothers me about it, though, and that's this thing called the Smart Pistol. Oh, oh God, yeah. <laughs> I hate that thing. It's terrible. The spray and pray. It's not even pray, is it? The spray. It's, it's just this auto-lock-on nonsense. I'm, like, I think, like, if it were a game made specifically for the PC audience, it wouldn't have been in there, but, um, no. No. um it, it's in there, and it's, like... It never like it's always frustrating when you get killed by the thing. <laughs> yes, like, there's some there's some weapons be like, okay, you got me, good job. But <laughs> that weapon just annoys the crap out of me every time. You got me, well done, golf clap, yeah. <laughs> were you, did you have both hands on the keyboard? Were you just scratching <laughs> your rear end while you were doing it? Like, uh, there you go. <laughs> but um, I played a lot of really cool games at Indiecade. Um, okay, do you want to share some of those? I'm probably yeah. So there's. One that's called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. <laughs> I'm already sold. Take my money. What is yeah. this? So it's about defusing a bomb, and it's two right. players. And one player is wearing an Oculus Rift headset. Yeah. Uh, you know, VR thing. And that person is the one who has to defuse the bomb. They have to explain to another person what they see, and that person has to go through a, a physical like paper instruction manual of all these different types of bombs and figure out what bomb they're trying to defuse and tell them how to defuse it. 
So it's like, you know, like in the movies, like when someone's like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to defuse a bomb. And they're talking to someone on the phone. They're like, ah, cut the yellow wire. And he's like sweating bullets as he's trying to, you know. All I think about when I see bomb defusal is is just lethal weapon two, where it's like, cut the red one. No, no, no. Green, red. (laughs) He just cuts it anyway. And they go, 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 go. Yeah. And that's what I think. So it's like you're in that movie now. It's like that, yeah. Although I want the bomb to go off because then it'll be really like in the film. But yeah, that would be. So what's it look like? Oh no, it's a bomb. Give me more than that. <laughs> is it a small box? Is it rectangular? Is it square? What? <laughs> How yeah. many wires do you see? Lots. You're not helping. <laughs> Like, is that how it works? Is that what happens? Yeah, yeah, like, oh, what is that? Oh, it's fuzzy. What? what? I, you know, like, it really, you know, kind of can, like, make or break friendships because, you know, if you idiot, what are you, you're not telling me anything, you know? Yeah, it's just... Explain it more clearly. It's like Space Team. You know Space Team, the, the game on yeah. iOS? Yeah, it's like that. Only, let you know, let, more, stressful. more stressful. Yeah. Because Space Team is just like... What level are we at now? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> Can we stop this now? Anything else? Um, I really liked Chariot, which is another, it's a co-op. Yeah. Like, You know that one? Yeah, I've been playing that a lot on my Xbox One because it came out on Xbox One Gold and I played it at PAX as well. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So for the, the, the listeners, you know, it's like a two-player co-op kind of platformer and you have this chariot on wheels that you have to carry around and each person has a rope they can grab to move it around and you're like okay now you jump over there and i'll jump over here and we'll make it like spin around this platform and it's a lot of fun and then it falls and you're like no yeah the the worst thing to have you get the combo i'm an explorer okay i like to see stuff i love to see worlds made by developers i've said this on the show before but that's what i but then you get another person who's an ocd who has uh, to collect everything? <laughs> These two people do not get on. Because <laughs> one just wants to get to the end of the level. He's like, I think I've seen enough. I'll get it. Let's just go. But there's that thing. There's a shiny thing at the top there. Like, I know, but can we just go? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've had, I played that with a friend who's, she was no CD and I was this explorer and we're like, literally pulling me away on this, on this <laughs> coffin. Up the directions, totally. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, we're supposed to work together. We're going to, look, the end's just over there. Like, but I want to get, I don't care, we're going. <laughs> so, yeah, fantastic game, Chariot. Um, okay, uh, anything else? We can move on to second half, if you like. Um, I'd like to mention one more, which was uh, okay. a student game. It was called Sunder. And do you remember those old, like, really bad 3D glasses where one eye was red and one eye was blue? Yes. So they have glasses like those, except uh, your both eyes are the same color. So there are some glasses that are all red and some that are all blue. Right. And it's also a, a two-player co-op thing. And you're both looking at the same screen. Right. Um, but you see different stuff because one of you has the red glasses and one has the blue glasses. And oh. so you're in the same world, um, although some stuff's only in the blue world and some stuff's only in the red world. And, you know, it, it's in a sense kind of like, Sherry, that, you know, you're trying to work together to get through this well, it's kind of like Chariot and uh, keep talking and nobody explodes, right? Because you don't see the same thing and you got to talk to each other to figure it out to get through this world. And I think, that, yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant to use those glasses so people could look at the same screen. So you just use a regular television or regular yeah. monitor or whatever 
and then yeah. they split the the ah, oh. because um, Sony did that. They released some TVs with like you, you could have one the screen doing one thing, someone was wearing glasses, and someone who wasn't yeah. wearing glasses, they'd seen something completely different. Um, but uh, huh. yeah, those were like the special 3D TVs that had the you know the active like the really special active glasses. These are just like yeah. any old screen with any the old screen. disposable paper glasses. Brilliant. And there's a lot of that co-op people talking to each other a lot more these days. Yeah, I think it's uh, great. Not so much with paperbound though. No, not a lot of, a lot of co-op going on there really. Uh well, there are teams. <laughs> there, there, you can do teams. You can do teams. I take it. And uh, once you do teams, you often end up yelling at your teammate more than at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's friendly, friendly fire and stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, which moves us um, very neatly on because I do love segues, even though I just <laughs> mentioned the fact that we just done one means <laughs> segue. Um, Start off with an awesome one, and then you just killed it. Yeah, I just killed it. Stone dead. It's now flapping on the side of the wall. Just sort of sitting there flapping, going, you sod. Uh, let's move on. Second half, let's talk about paper bound. your pitch with this game it's the first question so easy and then it ramps up Paperbound is like Smash Brothers with crazy gravity inside old storybooks so it's a competitive local multiplayer brawler single screen two dimensional and each character has his own gravity direction one guy can be on the wall and the ceiling and depending on all these crazy curved surfaces you're running around your gravity will change direction and you're all trying to outmaneuver each other and you can do these like flying acrobatic maneuvers where you fly across the map and slash someone down with a pencil Another guy's throwing scissors, um, and all the characters and environments come from old books like Journey to the Center of the Earth, uh, Dante's Inferno, Musashi's Book of Five Rings, stuff like that. It's imagine the best kung fu movie ever, <laughs> <laughs> with complete with wire jumps and everything, and with scissors and inks and paper people, and you're there. That's a pretty good one. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's what I thought or felt after I'd managed to fling my character across the screen from the other side and kill one player with a pair of scissors and then chop someone else's half head off with my dirty great sword thing that everyone has. And I felt so great. And then I got killed two seconds later. But I could, I took two out before I... <laughs> well, that's a game. It's a game where everybody's dying all the time. And yeah. With that. <laughs> the last more than 15, 10 seconds, like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to study what this, this guy's doing here. Yeah, is he, how's he still alive? Yeah. Um, so, why paper? <laughs> why is it paper? Why, why were they made out of paper? What, what, what was that? What was that about? 
Um, that's an interesting story. So um, I had this um, very early prototype at one point that had no art whatsoever. And for the character, since I didn't have any art, I just made a little stick man, like, you know, straight lines for the arms and legs and things. I had him going through this world. And then I had a friend uh, who was an artist that I used to work with at High Moon Studios. And he was now kind of doing his own thing, um, doing like freelance stuff and like fine art stuff. And I was looking through some of his stuff and I came across this image he had um, where there was like this old paper and there were all these little demon creatures coming out from behind it. And I really liked that. Um, and I was like, I have a stick man in paper. Um, and at the time, I was also looking at doing a single-player campaign, and I had this whole story that I thought up about this stick man named Eddie, who's like trapped on his little sheet of paper, and he was gonna, he wanted to get out and explore the world, so he finds his way into all these old books to have adventures, um, and so like all those different elements came together to to form that idea. Um, I've since decided to focus on the multiplayer, but the you know the, the stick man paper theme has come through. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to know. It could have been anything, but yeah, scissors, ink blots, and. And personal... who does run with scissors? Yeah, exactly. Personal gravity, though. You know, yeah. so paper bound, everyone has their own personal gravity. You know, it's just their, you know, that's their unique to them. How did that come about? How did that evolve in into the game. I'm just curious about was it an accident or was it driven by design? That was always the like original central focus of it. Right. And this um goes actually back to what I was saying about really loving the old school first person shooters when I was younger. I was daydreaming one day and I imagined playing something like Unreal Tournament where you're running on the wall, you're running on the sea leg and you just everybody's going different crazy directions trying to outmaneuver each other. because um, I thought that would just be really fun, frenetic gameplay. Um, but I thought, I'm not going to compete with Unreal Tournament. I'm one guy. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, oh, that could work in 2D. So I started playing with it. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was really fun. And just maneuvering around just felt so cool and, you know, make you laugh like a little kid. <laughs> it certainly does that. Um, and, you know, Unreal Tournament had some really insane mods back in the day. And I understand it's being re-released as a, another mod-making machine game. Thing. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to watch. It will be, yeah, from the sidelines, perhaps. <laughs> so that's what I just want to get out. Just to, to stress to listeners here is that that's how the game really works. You run around this 2D map, arena. It's an arena, definitely an arena. Yeah. Running around, and uh, you can just hit a button, and then one minute up is down and down is up, and you go shooting across the screen. It's genius, and as you <laughs> and as you do so, you might perhaps go into the path of someone else who's doing the same kind of thing, and one of you is going to die. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. Like one if you have two people coming from opposite sides, and you both do your melee weapons, they'll like ching together, and you both pause briefly, and, and then continue on. Yeah, it's like uh, did that just happen? Yes. <laughs> Hang on, this isn't a sword fight. I know, I know, I know. So, yeah, that's quite funny when you hear that clang. And really? I, I love seeing when people notice things like, oh, you can do that? Holy crap. Like, you just did you just bounce my scissors back at me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that's good. That is, yeah, satisfying. I am rubbish at it, though. I've got to say, <laughs> but I do, I do love the game. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had you on. So I want to talk about the art style because I think it, that's the other thing that drew me to it, to, to, to the screen as I walked in to that Seattle 6 thing. And yeah. uh, 
uh, when I walked across and I saw you there, I thought, what, what is that? Tell me about the visual art style, because it looks not too dissimilar to what Terry Gilliam did back in the days of Monty Python when his animations. Oh. Uh, there probably wasn't an inspiration, but it just looks like that. Yeah, well, it's interesting you use the word art style, because I would say it actually has several art styles. Because the the deal is that each le- there are five different books and each level will go to one of those different books. Yeah, and so each book has its own art style, which worked well with the fact that I had a couple different people do art for the game, mm. so that they could you know they wouldn't because you know it can be hard sometimes to get artists to like replicate exactly what the other guy's doing. Yeah, make it mesh well. Um, so by having these different books I could say okay this artist you get this book and you can kind of express your creativity and what you know how you, exactly you want that one to look um, and so we've got a number of books we've got Journey to the Center of the Earth which has a very like line heavy style because it's inspired by the type of art people used to do in the 1800s when Journey to the Center of the Earth came out um, where back in those days like they didn't have you know the modern printing equipment we have now so they'd do shading by just doing like different lengths and uh, like spacings of lines and things and so we tried to work that into the artwork but uh, you know bring it a little bit into the modern age with color and things and then there is Skull Kingdom which was kind of inspired by Nightmare Before Christmas that really like oh yeah yeah and art style Um, we've got the Book of Five Rings so it's got a Japanese, you know, like a traditional Japanese art style, and there are the five different books within that: Book of Fire, Book of Water, Book of Wind, Book of Void, Book of Earth. And so each one of those is like themed around that particular thing, but they still all have that traditional Japanese art style. Um, Dante's Inferno, which uh, kind of um, when I mentioned uh, some of the original art inspiration of from my friend who had that like old paper and the little demon creatures coming out from behind it. So it's kind of got that, like all this torn old parchment and some lava and skull guys in the background. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So there, there are a variety of different little art styles there. It's a very visually engaging game. So it sounds, you know, very, just to, to, to cast that aside, it's, it genuinely is. It, it draws you in, you look at it and go, what what is this? And that's the, that's great because you know you, you ask the question. To, sorry, what? And then you see things whizzing around, and you see the scissors and the ink blots, and like, and I need to play. <laughs> At one point, I had uh, in a level, and a guy came by, yeah. and he this was at PAX East, and he was looking at this one cave level, and you know it's just kind of like lights filtering in, and there's like moss and things, and all the rocks, and it looks very beautiful. And then all these little like dust particles just kind of floating around, and he was like, mm. "That's mesmerizing." Like I just want that as a screensaver. <laughs> but it is not a screensaver. Uh, not at the moment, no. 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 Um, <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that I'm rubbish at the game. So what? And this is a question I ask some developers about their game because um, it's some, this game is definitely much skill driven. There is luck there, but eventually you actually get to grips with it becomes a skill driven game, which I think is what you thrive for because if you're you're a big fan of games like Quake and that sort of stuff, then it's all really about skill, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, I wanted to make a game that. People could pick up and kind of get a basic feel for it and run around and have fun and laugh. And then, you know, once they get into it, you know, it gets to that higher level of play. Um, I've played it with uh, my roommate quite a bit. 
and we get like to the point where like we're both like really good at the timing so we're just like clashing swords constantly and you know when we when we throw the scissors we're like okay i know he's gonna reflect that when i throw it so i gotta like do something so that he doesn't expect me to do it at this moment in time yeah that's the one thing i've found is just like okay i'm gonna position myself to try and snipe with a no no chris you just sit there and it's like before I even got, like, <laughs> because I'm hoping to take a couple of them out with the same pair of scissors or something. Like, no, no, Chris, no. So the question is, um, because it's a skill-based game, what would be the one thing, only one thing you would tell a new player as they sit down? Not after you've explained the game and how to play it, that, that aside, the playing tip that you would give to a new player, what would you say, apart from mm-hmm. keep moving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do want to keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> What's the one thing? Um, I would say learn to use the gravity to move through the map faster because a lot of people will just like continually run along a surface. Yes. Um, but that's kind of the slow way. Like if you use like, oh, if I rotate this way and then I can fall and get there a lot faster. Um, and that really comes into play in uh, this one map called the Labyrinth, which is used in the capture the quill mode. Right. Um, kind of looks like a Pac-Man level in terms of how it's organized. And, like, just doing the naive kind of way of going through it is probably, like, three times slower than doing it the efficient way. Yeah, always remember that the gravity is kind of an optional thing. It's fluid. <laughs> it's all about you, not about the world. It's all about you as regards yeah. to gravity. I know. goes against everything you taught, right? I know. <laughs> It's a video game. They can do things like this. Yeah, so it, it is funny to see like different people kind of get comfortable with that over different periods of time. Like some people will like just get into it right away, and some people are like, man, that is just confusing. Yeah, I can't, I can't deal with this. Like, see that ceiling there? It can be your floor. No, 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 no. Like, okay, fine. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be like left, right, up, down. It can be. 360, like any angle you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did I, towards the end when I was playing it, I, got, I did get better. Uh, and I found myself peeing across the map. But the problem is, it was too much. Because <laughs> like, I had no control of it. I could just go flying, but then people sort of caught on to me. And I had to sit there and wait and just slice my head off as I went whizzing by. <laughs> so, most frustrating. <laughs> Dan, it's been fantastic you having you on the show. Really appreciate it. Could you tell us when the game's coming out and what's it coming out on? Yeah, Paperbound is coming to PlayStation 4 and Steam in late January, um, probably around January 20th. And um, looking at maybe bring it to other platforms as well, but right now those are the ones that are locked in. Uh, just to be clear, so it's Windows, Mac, and Linux? Um, first, probably just um, Windows, but looking at expanding to those other platforms as soon as I can. And it's local multiplayer only? Is that right? It is local multiplayer only. It's best when you know you can throw an elbow or something and hear the other guy yelling in your face. Yeah. Crash talking you. I mean, I know games like Nidhogg that does actually work online, but this sort of game, it's like Towerfall Ascension, that couldn't work online. It has to be people yelling at each other. Yeah. I mean, then. Um, one time I was playing with some guys, and I noticed one of the guys had these, like, massive armpit stains. Profusely, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Game that gives you pit stains. Yeah. <laughs> Only in a local setting could you really get that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Something about deodorant people just don't like. <laughs> In expos. I just don't know. Don't get oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it seems to be getting better. It seems to it be getting It is, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I, I swear one year at PAX, the funk actually had its own pass. It was sort of drifting along with its <laughs> PAX pass around it. It was hanging over some booth. It was, oh, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. Okay, well, I've kept you long enough. Thank you very much. And uh, I wish you the very best of luck with the game. Uh, do Everyone listening, do check it out when it eventually arrives. Uh, is there a demo of some kind or some video people can watch of it? I think there is. Yeah, um, on IndieDB, that's like IndieDatabase.com. It's, there are a whole bunch of indie games there, and there's a demo up there. Okay, so there you go. You can check it out for yourself. Uh, and it's uh, embryonic form, I suspect. It's probably moved on a great deal since then. Is that right? Uh, the build-up there is a little bit old right now, but it's still a ton of fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, go go check it out. Play it with your friends. It's up to four players. You didn't mention that, did we? It's up to four players. Yeah. Two to four players. And um, my favorite for four players is probably the Capture of the Quill, but I also like doing, like, one-on-one head-to-head battles as well. Yeah. They, they're a bit duel-like, isn't it? Like, you know, um, sort of who's going to draw first? <laughs> yeah it's going to go flinging across the screen first more like but, uh, okay well Dan thanks very much and uh, thank you wish you the best of luck thanks and so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory do leave us an iTunes review and you can also don't forget listen to us on stitcher.com so just go to stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there you just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us that'd be great you can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer and listen to this show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Hi!